This is an excerpt from the audiobook The Messengers, written by Mike Cleland, and that's me, and it was narrated by Michael Hacker. The foreword was written and read by Richard Dolan. And the introduction and conclusion were read by me. What you will be hearing now is Chapter 9, titled Back-to-Back Reports, and this might be my favorite chapter of this big book. I am happy to offer up this audio file as a sample so you can get an insight into the tenor of this book, and I will be posting more samples as a way to promote this audiobook, and these will be easy to find on my blog, Hidden Experience. The audiobook can be purchased on audible.com, the iTunes Store, and Amazon. And if you like the book, please leave a review on Amazon, because in this new era of publishing, authors are fully dependent on these reviews. This audio excerpt was posted on May 22nd, 2021. Please enjoy. Chapter 9. Back-to-Back Reports Digging into the weird connections between owls and UFOs has unleashed all kinds of synchronicities, and these seem to be intertwined with the research itself. These synchronicities have forced me to recognize that something is happening, and it feels important. I've received a set of stories that echo each other with a remarkable similarity that's impossible to ignore. I didn't really do much to search these stories. They just fell into my lap, sometimes less than 24 hours apart. This chapter features three different back-to-back stories, and each plainly mirrors the other in details and mood. There is a weird power to this pattern of parallel reports, so much so that they seem to define a grander truth than just the stories themselves. Two White Owls I know a man who's had a curious set of life events that oddly parallel my own, including lots of owl sightings. He reached me by phone and told me I needed to talk to someone who had the mother of all owl stories. That got my attention. He gave me the contact info for a woman named Leslie, a pseudonym, and told me he thought she'd be open to sharing some of her odd experiences. Leslie and I exchanged hellos on the Facebook chat box, and during this initial back and forth I sent her a link to my timeline. This is a page on my blog where I list some of my own life events. I sent this at 6.04 p.m. on May 13, 2013. She replied back 29 minutes later with this. I read the timeline on your blog, went outside onto my porch to get a little air, and got swooped by a white owl. Well then, what do you think of that? I got back to her and said, at this point, I thought it was freaking normal. She has a large white owl fly over her within minutes of our first hello. She spent years on that porch, and nothing like that had ever happened before. The synchro weirdness connecting me to owls had been manifesting with such a deluge that this felt completely ordinary. 
Leslie is a certified clinical hypnotherapist and works with helping patients with issues like quitting smoking, weight loss, and stress management. But most of her clients are coming to her seeking help in dealing with memories that imply UFO contact. Leslie has strong psychic skills, and she uses them in her therapeutic practice. She was mentored by her adoptive father, who taught her to develop these skills through simple little games, like find the pebble under the shell and guess the card. She began doing this with her own son, hoping to encourage his own psychic intuition. Her son had started meditating the year before, at the young age of five. This parallels the experiences of Dr. Kirby Surprise, who started meditating at age nine and then went on to have his own odd UFO experiences. The very first time Leslie sat with her son and played these psychic games, he was just six years old. They were sitting together in their backyard, and he was picking it up quite fast. At some point, a big white owl flew down and perched on a nearby branch, watching them. This owl stayed with Leslie and her son for the next three years. When she would drive to the grocery store, she would watch the owl following in her rear-view mirror. While at the store, the owl would wait on a lamppost in the parking lot and then follow her home again. It lived in a tree in their yard and was always around, seemingly paying close attention to whatever they were doing. This was a magical time for her family. That white owl would follow her everywhere, sometimes getting as close as just a few feet away from her and her son. During this time, Leslie was also doing field work, where she would go out at night with the intention of seeing UFOs. This was done in rural locations with a small team of comrades. They would set up equipment in the day so they could get a fix on the horizon and nearby vantage points, then return at night hoping to see something unusual. The white owl would show up at these sky-watching gatherings, too. There came a point when Leslie and her family left that home. She moved out of the state to study advanced hypnotherapy. A few days after leaving, her old next-door neighbor contacted her, telling her that the owl was dead. He'd found it in her backyard, lying on its back with its wings spread wide. Both Leslie and her son were heartbroken. As she reflects back after many years, she feels that the owl was performing some task. Its job had been completed, and at that point it died. Leslie had another recent owl experience. She lives in a fairly big city, and she was walking her dog one morning down a sidewalk in a busy residential part of town. She sensed something behind her and turned around to see an owl standing on the sidewalk. She thought it must have fallen out of a tree, but she also felt worried for the owl. After a moment, she turned and continued along on her walk. Then the owl flew right over her and landed directly in front of her in the center of the sidewalk, blocking her way. She walked up close, near enough to touch it. She sensed that there was something wrong, that the owl was sick, 
It was a little over a foot tall, but its height was hard to gauge because it was sort of drooped over in a despondent pose. Curiously, her dog showed no reaction at all, and this was unusual because she was quite high-strung and eager to chase anything in her path. Leslie stopped a complete stranger on the street and asked if she could use his cell phone. She wasn't carrying hers, and she was surprised at her own assertiveness. He handed her his phone, and she searched out an animal rescue service to come and deal with this owl. As she was using this man's phone, he lit up a cigarette. She found a number to call, explained about the owl, and they said, Wait right there. With a weird swiftness, a van pulled up, and two guys from animal control hopped out and approached the owl. This all happened before the man had finished his cigarette. These two guys efficiently slipped a bag over the owl and carried him to the van. They explained that they were connected to both veterinary services and a nearby wildlife sanctuary, and just as suddenly they were gone. Leslie feels strongly that this owl had purposely plopped itself in her path, choosing her because it needed help. Like so many other people who've had these weird owl experiences, Leslie has had a lifetime of direct UFO contact and profound synchronicities. And like almost all experiencers I've spoken with, she also has a profound sense of mission that is tied into her contact events. Leslie's experiences can be traced back to before she was born. When her mother was nine months pregnant with Leslie, she saw something in the sky. Even though she was frightened, she felt compelled to go outside in the middle of the night. She was suddenly in the presence of two small gray aliens who escorted her out into the apple orchard behind her house. These beings brought her to a landed flying saucer that was in a clearing. There was a jumble of memories of being on board the craft and feeling the cold floor under her bare feet. The next thing her mother remembers was collapsing in her front yard, screaming for help. Her neighbors, who had seen the UFO, found her on the grass as she was going into labor. She was rushed to the hospital, and Leslie was born that night. Leslie's mother was deeply traumatized over the events of that night, as well as ongoing contact throughout the entirety of her pregnancy. She couldn't come to terms with what had happened, and she was unable to bond with her newborn daughter. Several years later, Leslie's mother dropped her and her sisters off at the doorstep of an adoption services office and disappeared. I cautiously asked Leslie what this was like, and I marveled at her answer. She said she was never angry at her mother, and that she understood that it was impossible for her to cope. This would have been in the early 1960s, and at that time there was absolutely no outlet for anyone with these experiences. She explained that she sought out and eventually met her mother when she was a young adult. It was during these meetings when she heard about the trauma surrounding her own birth. My initial meeting with Leslie was in the early evening on Monday, May 13, 2013. The following day at 2.29 in the afternoon, 
I got an email from a woman named Shauna Holm, who wrote, I went on your website and was thunderstruck to see all the articles about owls. If you read my book, the entire thing is a series of synchronicities with the owl. It was only minutes after getting this email that Shauna and I were talking on the phone. Shauna is a shaman and author, and her autobiographical book is titled Love and Spirit Medicine. It's a memoir of her visionary journeys using sacred mushrooms to access the spirit world. Her mentor in these psychedelic realms has been a giant white owl. Her story is extremely strange, but what really amazed me was how closely her experience paralleled Leslie's, who I had met less than 24 hours earlier. Shauna spent half of her life in New York City, seduced by all the powerful external forces that have come to define our culture of consumerism. She was married with two daughters and enjoyed the quintessential Manhattan lifestyle. In 2001, her husband moved the family to Seattle, and things began to crumble. She was cut off from the life she loved, and her marriage soon dissolved. She sank into her own dark night of the soul, and the years that followed were a powerful catalyst for self-reflection. These life events set Shauna on a spiritual journey inward. She started to meditate and sought out books and teachers to help her better understand her deeper self. This eventually led her to shamanism as a life path. Shauna studied with a shaman teacher in the Yucatan. He took her to meet with a Mayan shaman for a blessing ceremony. After it was over, Shauna thanked him, and he gave her a necklace that held an owl pendant. She politely accepted the gift, but couldn't help but wonder, why an owl? Shamanic practice involves accessing altered states of consciousness to connect with the spirits. Shauna briefly explored ayahuasca, then turned her attention to the sacred use of psilocybin mushrooms. She was so moved by her first experience that she began a monthly ritual with this medicine. She called it going through the portal to sit on God's lap and talk to the spirits. Over the course of Shauna's explorations, she experienced the presence of the owl around her and began to think of it as a guardian of sorts. During some of these medicine journeys, she could hear owls hooting in the near vicinity. Shauna was beginning to see owls, hear owls, and have owl synchronicities everywhere she looked. It felt as though she had reached a place where the veils between the worlds were lifting. The owl can be a powerful ally for any shaman who performs their work at a soul level. It's the owl's ability to see in the dark that can guide the shaman as they traverse the realms of spirit. Shauna was familiar with spirit allies, but it wasn't until she began working with the mushroom medicine that she developed a relationship with the owl. The mushroom journeys were about engaging the realms of spirit, and the owl was taking on the role of a wise protector and guide. As Shauna got deeper into her practices, she realized that everything society had taught her was being stripped away. She was seeking and getting closer to her true self. Using the mushrooms in sacred ceremonies had been deeply transformative, yet she continued to go even further. 
Up until that point, all her mushroom journeys had been taken in the company of a partner or under the watchful eye of a shaman mentor. She came to a critical juncture in her explorations when her medicine partner, who had become her lover, pulled away. In a state of grief, she made a life-changing decision to take the medicine alone. This was to be a powerful initiation of walking a pathway to her deepest depths without the assuring presence of another. She took that leap on a snowy evening in January. That day she had received a package from a Native American friend and artisan who had gifted her with the tail of a snowy white owl a couple of months earlier. Her friend had used the feathers to create a ceremonial fan with a beaded handle, and she received the finished piece that afternoon. She lit a small bundle of sage and smudged her bedroom with the smoke, then smudged herself and cleared the room with her white owl fan. She was nervous about going it completely alone, but she knew this time she had to go all the way. She asked the white owl spirit to protect her, and then sat down and ate five grams of mushrooms. This is considered a heroic dose. Shauna wrote, a half hour or so later, I felt the medicine begin to kick in. I said to the mushrooms, Please hear me. I come to you with no skin left, just my wounded heart. I come to you for your counsel and your teaching. Almost immediately, I saw a white sphere in the distance making its way to me. As it neared, I saw it had wings, and then I realized it was the white owl. She stood before me and became a beautiful woman clothed in white owl feathers with long, flowing white hair. She radiated warmth and kindness and said, I am White Owl. I am your medicine, and I will work with you, daughter who longs. My heart opened to her, and I radiated my gratitude. I opened my eyes in that moment and my entire bedroom was encased in luminous white owl feathers. It was such a beautiful sight to behold. I was completely contained and protected. She was to be my guardian throughout the entire journey, and her love for me was beyond anything I could possibly describe in words. Shauna let herself cry and felt a huge soft wing folding her into her guide's breast like a mother owl would protect a fledgling. The white owl took Shauna to the top of a tree that held the yellow leaves of autumn. Then they went down the trunk and deep into the luminous green earth. Mother Earth gently spoke to Shauna, telling her, You are dying, daughter who longs. This startled me, and I looked at her, and she said, Yes, daughter, you must know the girl in you must die. I began to cry. I understood then why the tree had yellow leaves. It was a time of shedding, of passing from one phase into another. You will be birthed tonight, White Owl said. You will be birthed from daughter who longs to daughter who knows. I will help you. At that she took me to a place where we were standing in a landscape of crystalline white snow. She stood before me and said, I am removing the veil, goddess. She removed two veils from me. 
I was incredulous that she called me goddess. And she laughed and said, Yes, you are a goddess. You are my sister. I will work with you not as something greater than yourself. I will work with you as your sister. I felt myself radiating luminous blue light when the veils came off. Then I was catapulted into what I can only describe as the cosmos, the universe, the all. This psychedelic journey took Shauna to the third phase of womanhood. She was leaving the maiden and mother behind, removing those two veils, and she was entering the phase of the crone. From fledgling to autumn to the snows of winter, from life to death to rebirth, she was guided down this eternal path by an owl, who now called her goddess. Like many UFO abductees, there is a deep transformative after-effect from Shauna's white owl event. The experiencer is in a place of questioning or longing. An event happens, and then a change. This plays out exactly with Shauna. She is literally transfigured by the giant owl and reborn as something new. The message couldn't be more plain. She goes from daughter who longs to daughter who knows with the help of an owl. Shauna's whole transformative event plays out with an eerie similarity to a UFO abduction. It began with a white sphere seen in the distance making its way toward Shauna. And then she found herself in an unusual white room. Like almost all accounts of alien contact, the communication with the white owl was entirely telepathic. I asked Shauna if she had ever seen a UFO, and I wasn't at all surprised when she described seeing one the previous summer. She had just finished working with a client, was now lying down on her back, gazing up to the stars. She noticed a triangle of stars, in the center was just blank sky. Then there was a bright flash of light, like an explosion. In that moment, she knew she was receiving a communication. She couldn't say what it was, but she was in a state of pure calm and trust. Then it exploded again twice more. In that moment, she thought, Holy shit, I just saw a real spaceship! I've also asked Shauna if she's ever had any UFO abduction experiences, and she's quick to say no. What is curious is that the story arc of her life plays out like what so many abductees have lived. The journey from the dark night of the soul to a spiritual transformation is something I have heard over and over in my UFO abduction research. The white being in another realm that radiates unconditional love, being catapulted into the all, and especially seeing a UFO, these are right out of the pages of most any abductee's autobiography. I fully recognize that these glowing examples don't represent the darker experiences of many, or even most, UFO abductees. The shaman and the abductee are being led along a terribly challenging path. And if both are being confronted with initiation rites, the question arises, what is the role of the initiate? I have a hard time separating Leslie's story with her white owl from Shauna's story and her white owl. 
Leslie is very much an abductee, but I don't think Shauna is. She's much more in the maybe category. I talked to Leslie on a Monday. Then, on Tuesday, I talked to Shauna. I connected with both women in less than 24 hours. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Both of them were born the same year and in the same place, 1963 in Ontario. Both are working psychics and using these skills to help people. Both have had a lot of powerful synchronicities. Both have seen UFOs and both have seen owls. They were both adopted and they've both had profound transformative experiences with a large white owl. I'll also add that both women have extremely striking blue eyes. It is these kinds of clustered synchronicities that keep me on this path. To me, they are proof of something at play, and that reality itself is much more dynamic than I once believed. The Two Hammocks I spoke to a woman named Susan Kornacki after hinting to me on Facebook that she'd had a profound owl experience. We had communicated off and on over the last few years, and I followed up with a set of phone calls. Susan has had a lifetime of UFO contact experiences, and like so many with these ongoing events, she is profoundly dedicated to serving and helping mankind. Her sense of mission is palpable in almost her every word. When we spoke, she said she had three owl experiences that were important to her. Her first wasn't her own, but one that had been ingrained into her family lore. Her grandfather wasn't much of a talker, but he did have one story that he would tell over and over. He had over twenty grandchildren, and all of them were captivated by this story. He was always out in nature, all of his life, and it defined his very being. He had spent the afternoon alone in the woods fishing, and something odd happened. He felt a distinct presence, as if something was right there with him. He looked around and there was nothing, but he swore there was something else out there. While driving home that same day, he heard a voice saying, You need to take a left. That didn't make any sense, because that wasn't the way home. He looked to his side, and there was an owl sitting in the passenger seat. The shock of a talking owl in his car, right next to him, caused him to turn right, and he got into an accident. In the seconds after the accident, the owl was gone, and he never knew if it somehow flew out of the car or just disappeared. He was convinced that the owl was trying to help him avoid an accident, but he was too startled to follow its directions. Because of her grandfather's often repeated story, owls have always had a magical place in Susan's heart, and this magic played out on Easter Sunday in 2010. Susan was at a big family gathering not too far from her home. Her daughter and her ex-husband David were there too. Over the previous couple of days, Susan had been feeling a weird sensation intensifying in her back. And while at this party, she suddenly felt a tremendous rush of powerful energy running up through her spine. She described it as a Tesla coil going off. Immediately, she told everyone she had to leave. 
She left alone without her daughter, David agreeing to drop her off at Susan's later in the afternoon. Susan arrived back home in a state of confusion at about 4 p.m. She was overwhelmed by the frenetic sense of energy in her spine and had no idea what was happening. She went out to her backyard and got into a hammock, which was set up between two trees. The moment she laid down, she watched an owl fly above her into one of the trees connected to the hammock. Then another owl landed in the other tree that held the other side of the hammock, and those owls began a back-and-forth chorus of calls with her lying between them. Susan explained, I just kind of surrendered. I laid back into the hammock, and I knew what was going on. I knew that they are taking this energy and calibrating it. They're helping me to ground it, to have it be more complete. The sound of the owls and the energy was moving back and forth, and I was right in the middle. I can't help but see Susan as some sort of energy-storing component, like a battery on a circuit board between two electrically charged owls. This went on for over a half hour, and David arrived home with their daughter. When they walked into the backyard, Susan thought for sure the owls would fly away, but they didn't. David walked up to Susan in the hammock, concerned that she'd left the party so abruptly. He asked if she was all right. She replied, I am now. Then she asked what was above them. He said he heard two owls. She explained that they arrived at the exact moment when she'd laid down in the hammock, and then she explained how she was feeling. When she asked David what he thought they were doing, he said, It sounds like they're helping. Susan told me, I've never had anything like that happen before. Animals coming to, I don't want to say heal me. It was more than that. These weren't just balancing the energy, but they were also part of the information that was moving in my body. They were a part of it. It was amazing. This energy was overwhelming. I had no frame of reference for what to do with it. Susan didn't understand what she was feeling, but thought that these intense sensations might match some sort of kundalini rush, but she couldn't say for sure. Leading up to this owl event, Susan had just started to dabble in doing energy healing work. This traced back to one of her UFO contact experiences. She clearly remembers the aliens showing her that she could move this psychic energy through her hands. She was in a place of yearning and felt a need to follow this path, to see if she could actually make this therapeutic work happen as a career. Susan, with the help of the owls, seems to be an energy healer who is coming into her own, the explosion of energy in her spine certainly plays out like a kundalini awakening, and this might be an energetic blockage being removed, something clearing away, allowing a freer, more dynamic flow of energy. She opened up, and those two owls were playing some role. Either they were part of some activation process, transmuting something within Susan, or they were attracted to something radiating out of her in the moment she put herself onto that hammock. It was after the event with the owls that people started coming to see her. She wasn't advertising or anything. They seemed to find her out of the blue. 
She just went with it, because now she could feel these energies a lot more clearly and cleanly, even though she'd never had any kind of formal training. It was simply an internal knowing about what to do to help people. Susan described the first odd sensations in her spine beginning on the Friday before the owl event. The feelings were painful, and she even made a joke. What is this, a crucifixion? That happened on Good Friday, and the owl event happened on Easter Sunday. When I pointed out this glaring metaphor to Susan, she seemed genuinely surprised. She's never been at all religious in any way, so it never occurred to her. There is no day in the Western world with more overt death and rebirth symbolism than Easter Sunday. Susan has a more recent owl experience. On January 1st, 2012, she was at her home alone, all swallowed up in a mood of uneasiness. She didn't understand what she was feeling or what was happening. It just felt like something was draining out of her. She was on the second floor, and when she casually glanced out a window, she was surprised to make direct eye contact with an owl in a tree just outside the window. It was looking right at her. Susan explained that they both stared at each other for the next 15 minutes. She actually said they engaged one another. In the moments after seeing that owl, she started to feel better. She somehow knew the owl was picking up what she had been feeling and that there had been a transfer of information. Susan felt strongly that the owl was connecting to the trees and also connecting with all the various beings out there. She was in her house, and the message directed at her from the owl was to come out, leave the confines of her safe home, a call to pull out to nature. Leading up to seeing that owl, Susan had been feeling a deep pull to change her life and follow a new path. Right after seeing that owl, things began to shift. Very soon after, she acted on that pull and moved to Hawaii. This had been a long-suppressed dream stretching back to her childhood. I spoke to Susan on a Wednesday. On Thursday, my friend Suzanne connected me to someone else who had a story she thought I would find interesting, hinting this woman had a lot of unusual life events. I didn't hesitate, and within minutes I was chatting on Facebook with a woman from Massachusetts named Kelly. I need to add that each of the people linked here, myself, Susan, Suzanne, and Kelly, have all had UFO contact experiences. My interest peaked when I realized that Kelly had her own profound experiences involving a hammock. Her story took place on a gorgeous Saturday afternoon in September 2008. She was lying in this hammock in her backyard, gazing at the crystal blue sky, hoping to catch a glimpse of something out of the ordinary above her, something she could honestly declare as special, a sighting that would confirm her past experiences. Kelly looked up from the hammock in contemplation for a good half hour to no avail, then thought to herself that she should simply ask to be shown something that she could say for sure was extraordinary. She spoke a simple request. Please show me something out of this world, something I will know for certain is special right away without question. I will close my eyes, count down from ten to one, and when I open my eyes, there it'll be, right there for me to see. 
She had made similar pleas at other uncertain times in her life, each time asking from a place of pure intent. She'd had good results from these heartfelt appeals. The answers came in the form of unexplained paranormal-type phenomena, and she hoped to get a similar reply on that sunny afternoon. Alas, nothing happened. She made the same appeal for a sign in the heavens a total of three times, but nothing presented itself. She calmly thought to herself, I guess this isn't going to work for me this time. Right at that moment, her eight-year-old son walked up and plopped himself down right next to her in the hammock. He asked, What are you doing, Mom? Well, I'm trying to ask to see something really special, something extraordinary. Maybe you can help me. As they lay there side by side, Kelly gently explained what she was doing. They both closed their eyes, and she described how it worked, making the same wish, and started the countdown. When she got to three, her son interrupted her. Wait, Mom, I didn't do it right. It didn't work. Then, without hesitation, he took the lead, and they both closed their eyes as he spoke with a sincere intention. Dear God, Please show us a UFO. Kelly hadn't addressed her request to anyone or anything, not to God. And she never said the word UFO either. Then he exclaimed, Five, four, three, two, one. When they opened their eyes, there was something shiny directly in front of them, sitting low in the sky, like it was there for them to see. They were both ecstatic excitedly pointing at it together. What they saw was a motionless, noiseless, brilliant white light. It was like an intensely bright star, but this was the middle of the day. She asked her son to run and get the binoculars from the house. She repeated, Thank you, over and over as he raced away. Seemingly within seconds he was back, and looking through the binoculars, she saw something beautiful and surreal. She described it as a highly reflective cone-shaped object, shining like a diamond with a million facets, like a prism reflecting every color imaginable, and even colors beyond imagination. It stayed there totally stationary. When her son looked through the binoculars, he let out a breathless, Whoa! She called to her husband to come outside. When he stepped out of the house and onto the deck, the light started moving. They both beckoned him to the hammock. They handed him the binoculars and he watched for a long time, eventually moving up to the deck for a better vantage point. He remained focused on the slowly moving bright object until it was no longer visible through the trees. Her husband, ever the skeptic, had no explanation for what it could have been. Kelly wasn't just seeing something, she was feeling something too. The event left her with feelings of wonder, awe, curiosity, and gratitude. The whole thing impacted her greatly. It changed her. She asked for confirmation and received precisely what she needed. I spoke with two women one day apart, both with hammock stories and both with UFO contact experiences. Both events happened in Massachusetts less than 43 miles apart. Each event started with them being alone, and then their child and husband arrived, in Susan's case, her ex-husband, and both experiences were profoundly emotional. These two women had even met on Facebook, become friends, and chatted. 
all without either one knowing the other's hammock experiences. Curiously, if you look at side-by-side -side pictures of Susan and Kelly, they look like sisters, almost like twins. But for me, the most resonant thing is that, despite all the similarities in their experiences, one woman saw owls, and the other saw a UFO, both while lying in a hammock. It feels like the owls and the UFO are, in many ways, mirroring the same metaphysical role in each story. I woke up with a jolt during the night, right after writing this back-to-back -back hammock story. My heart was pounding, I was wide awake, and I had this total knowing that this was the most important owl story I had collected. Now, this feeling tapered off with the cold light of dawn, so I can't say that it's true. But that was my thought in the moment. The Two Balconies I spoke with a woman named Tori, a pseudonym, about an experience while she was staying by herself in a vacation home near a ski resort. The event took place over the last weekend in September 2014, and this set of events was preceded by a sense of foreboding. She felt nervous because she was going to be there all alone, and this was unlike her. Tori's dog started barking hysterically at around three o'clock on Monday morning, jolting her awake. This was unusual behavior, and she spent a long time calming the dog down before she could go back to sleep. An hour later, she woke again, this time to the dog growling. It was then that she saw a glow coming from the hall. She thought she must have left a light on downstairs, but she hadn't noticed anything before. Then something caught her eye out the big wall of windows next to her bed. There was a dot of light in the sky, and it was moving around in odd motions. This was still before sunrise and she watched this bright, shiny object darting around in the dark sky while lying in her bed. It would move close and appear as a silvery metallic craft, then zip further away until it was only a bright dot of light. The entire wall on one side of the bedroom was made up of tall windows. This included a big glass door that opened onto a deck, so she had a wide view of the sky. She watched it for about 45 minutes, and then it disappeared. At that point, she promptly fell asleep. Tori woke again at 7.30. It was now fully daylight, and she watched an enormous gray owl flying in circles over and over above the golf course next to the house. The position of her bed and huge windows framed the whole scene. She could clearly watch the flight of this slow-circling owl. She was lying in bed watching, and she had an odd feeling that it was looking at her. Eventually, she spoke aloud, Go away, you're scaring me. At that point, the owl flew towards her and landed right on the deck outside her window. It was standing with its back to her. Tori was just about to get up and out of bed. She wanted to open the door and shoo it away. Then it began hopping backwards, still facing away from her. She had the distinct feeling it was trying to hide its face. It waddled right up close to the glass, turned its head, and her instantaneous thought was, It's a woman! This owl stayed like that for a long while, staring in at her. She was clear that it wasn't simply a female bird looking in at her. It was a woman, a person. She was frightened, 
and was moving around in bed, and at one point her eyes were averted, and when she looked back this owl was gone. Tori described the owl as mostly gray and about two feet tall. This matches a great gray owl, a common enough bird, given her location. Parts of this story suggest she was seeing a real bird, but some of it seems like a screen memory. The days leading up to this odd set of events included a flurry of psychic weirdness. She told of guessing someone's birthday. She doesn't know why. She was just suddenly prompted to say it out loud. This same psychic birthday knowing has happened to me, and both of us were correct. Tori called me just two days after seeing the owl walk backwards on her balcony. We spoke on the phone for over an hour, and during that time, my computer would ping with each incoming email. I checked these messages while we were talking, and I had four separate messages. Each were accounts of owls and UFOs. Now, I get a lot of personal reports like this, but four in one hour is sort of over the top especially while immersed in conversation about exactly the same subject. Tori got back to me the day after we spoke. She described seeing unusual twinkling lights from the balcony of her high-rise apartment the night before, the very same day we spoke. They appeared just as she was telling her mother and grandmother about her UFO sighting and the strange owl landing on her balcony. I noticed something in my conversations with Tori. She was telling a scary story, but there was a sense of wonder in how she shared it. This shows up in other witnesses, too, this tone of amazement. It was obvious to me that she had experienced something both frightening and awe-inspiring. A little over a week after talking with Tori, I received an email from a woman in Brazil named Susana, where she described a series of events from early 2014. She lives on the top floor of a large apartment complex, and the view from her balcony was of two towers, one at each end of the building. She stepped out onto her balcony at night and saw a V-shaped object appear between the two towers. Right at that moment, she was overcome with an enormous feeling of joy and peace. The object didn't fly from one tower to the other. It appeared in the center of the space, it had yellow round lights, one on the front and two or three on the wings. She watched as it moved until it was hidden behind one of the towers. She ran to the edge of the terrace in the hopes of seeing it again, but it had disappeared. It was a clear night with no clouds, and she had no idea where it could have gone to. Then, silently to herself, she asked, Gosh, where are you guys? In that moment, two enormous white owls appeared. They flew right in front of the terrace. Susanna had been living in that apartment for more than a year and had never seen any owls. As they flew past, they made a strong whistling sound. She remembered hearing this same noise earlier, but never at the same time as seeing an owl. That whistling noise would be their calling for her in the upcoming weeks. In her letter to me, Susanna wrote, After seeing the UFO and the owls, a feeling of connection of both UFO and owls was something which filled my heart and mind. Could these birds be a materialization of the beings inside the object I saw? There must be a strong connection to both. I went to sleep with a wonderful feeling of peace and joy, which was with me for many days. 
Every time I'd remember the sight, the same feeling would fill my heart and mind. But I wanted answers. Why did my friends appear? What do they want me to know? Was it just a confirmation that they are around in these chaotic moments we are living? Why the white owls? After this night, the owls would come back, sit on an extension of the building wall, and just stare at me while I watched with amazement, and I tried to show my feelings of peace and joy. These two owls were close enough that Susanna could scare them with her movements, so she was careful not to startle them. She didn't want them to leave. She wrote something interesting. I would do my best to keep my vibration in joy and peace, because I had the feeling that they were there because of my vibration. Earlier in this book, I speculated that perhaps owls sensed some heightened resonance in the experiencer, and they were attracted to it. This may account for why abductees are seeing so many owls. Susanna is describing exactly what I had wondered about. They were there because of her vibration. On one of the nights, one of the owls flew onto her porch holding a rat in its beak. She mentally said, I'm not going to watch you eat that rat, so you better fly to another place. And it did. It flew to the building next to hers. Susanna always knew when they were around because of their distinctive whistling. Once, at night, one of the owls almost flew in her window. She felt blessed to have such sweet, friendly visits. They arrived nearly every night, and this went on for a long time. One night she saw a cockroach on her terrace. She hates cockroaches, so for the next few weeks she didn't go out onto the terrace, and she lost her friends. The owls never returned, and she no longer heard their whistling sounds. Susanna wrote to me about how she came to contact me. They want us to speak up and tell our stories in relation to our experiences with them. That's what they want. Maybe the owl and UFO experience I went through was just a way of reaching your blog. I feel you are a catalyst. She went on to compliment the work I have been doing, thanking me for speaking out. I was honored. And at the same time, I recognize that the blog, my written work, and the audio interviews all seem to be influenced by some outside force. I am cautious about saying this but I feel strangely compelled to do this work. And this book you are listening to is a direct result of this odd urge. Susanna went on, You are making me think about how I've been so reluctant to write about what I know and receive from them. To have more courage and not hide under the carpet, to lose fear of being pointed at as crazy. I have to work on my fear of speaking my truth. Don't you think they have good reasons in asking me to contact you? Both of these balcony sightings with Tori and Susanna involve seeing owls right after seeing a UFO. This is a bit out of the ordinary, because most of the reports of this type involve the witnesses seeing the owl first and then the UFO. These back-to-back -back stories have an amplified power. The way they arrived was so thick with synchro intensity that it feels like it was orchestrated for my benefit. I realize how presumptuous that sounds, but they each delivered a mighty wallop, and I was left astonished. 
All three of these back-to-back -back stories happened to a woman. The White Owls with Leslie and Shauna, the hammock experiences with Susan and Kelly, and the balcony events with Tori and Susanna. This pattern plays out within the entirety of my research. More women than men are telling me of their owl experiences, and I'm not sure why. One thought is that women are just better at communicating than men, and they're more likely to reach out to share their experiences. Men might be having just as many weird owl events, but perhaps they keep it to themselves. Or it could be that the mythic power of the owl is truly connected to the feminine. Maybe our ancestors saw this same pattern of owls favoring women, and this lore manifested in our ancient goddesses like Lilith, Athena, Minerva, and Lakshmi, each with an owl companion. Whatever the reason, the women certainly outnumber the men in this owl research. Of those women, there are a curious number with bird names, like dove, sparrow, cardinal, and even bird itself. That was an audio excerpt from Chapter 9 from The Messengers, penned by me, Mike Cleland. And the wonderful narration was done by Michael Hacker. And I sought him out because he has read a long list of audiobooks by John Keel and Brad Steiger, two of my heroes in this small but fascinating corner of publishing. I will be adding a lot more audio excerpts, including the conclusion and the foreword to this book, and these were both read by me. This book, The Messengers, was a monumental project for me, and it consumed years of my life, and its creation was a blurry time of obsession and dedication, and it was also a time of magic. This book was written in a synchronistic cloud, and that is not an exaggeration. It feels like something outside myself was at play during the writing process. I have two other companion books, and these make up a sort of trilogy. And I am enormously proud of these books, with The Messengers as the first in the series. And each of these is available in print, in Kindle, and as audiobooks. As I stated in the opening... These audiobooks can be purchased on audible.com, the iTunes Store, and Amazon. And if you like this book or any of the books, please leave a review on Amazon. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>